Money, 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 see money. My man, what's going on? RD, I, uh, I'm deep in thought. Yeah? Yeah. Well, it's the January term. We got only one course, so life can be better at this point in time. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about the concepts that are floated around in my January term course, Foundations of Intellectual Property. Damn. Yeah, these deep philosophical um, concepts about why we have law and if laws actually match the norms in society and what that gap means in terms of the efficiency of law to promote the things that it should. So I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, It it, it sounds quite deep. You sure you're ready to do this podcast? Oh, man. See, money was born ready, Rish. Let's do it. Here's the law school show, guys. By law students. For past, present, and future law students. Bringing you information to help your career. This is The Law School Show with Rishi and Chris. So before we get started with this week's podcast, uh, while surfing the net, Chris and I came across this piece of wisdom that we wanted to share with you. It says, don't watch the clock. Do what it does. Keep going. Going where, man? Well, going home. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, see you again. <laughs> no, no, we're kidding. But going after your dreams, we're sure that a lot of you might have set some uh, goals for this year. So this is just a bit of motivation for you to actually set realistic goals and uh, go after them. Yeah. And hopefully you'll be able to achieve them by the end of the year. Forward motion at the very least. Go forward. Don't go backward. Sideways can also be useful, going sideways. Or maybe Think outside the box. Or maybe two steps forward and one step back. That also works too. As that long as the net impact is positive. Is forward. So with that in mind, we had a couple of announcements to make this week. Thank you very much. Uh, we are seeing a huge uptake in our iTunes listener base, and we are very excited for that. Uh, the one problem, though, is iTunes makes it extremely hard for us to find out who has sub- subscribed to the podcast. But we would love to interact with you. So if you would like to join our mailing list or would to just uh, talk to us or uh, send us your thoughts, we would love to hear from you at lawschoolshow at gmail.com. Please send us an email. Yeah, comments on anything you've heard on past podcasts, whether you agree, you disagree, you have a different perspective, please do share. We're all better off. Um, if there's someone who you think we should interview or a top topic you'd like us to cover, let us know. Happy to hear it and we're happy to take action on it. Again, the email address is lawschoolshow at gmail.com. Yeah. Well, now to this week's episode, Chris. What do we have in store? Ottawa recruitment is just around the corner, a couple weeks away. But uh, before we jump into specifics, disclaimer. Ottawa recruitment is different this year than it has been in any other year in the past, I think. Yeah. So if any of you have spoken to individuals who have gone through the recruitment in prior years, keep in mind that this year is a bit different. It's different in the sense Ottawa recruitment has also added an OCI component to the interview process. Chris, what is OCI? On campus interviews. So there's essentially an application process. The application gets you an on-campus interview and then an on-campus interview would get you an infirm interview. So it's kind of like a three-step process. Exactly. And if you would like to find more information about 
what are the some tips and tricks to get through the OCI process, we would recommend going back and listening to our episode number two and episode one where we go in detail about the on-campus interviews. And uh, it's actually a roundtable with students who have gone through that uh, on-campus interviews and uh, they share some of the tips uh, that worked for them. Yeah, it's specific to the Toronto recruitment, but uh, still, uh, the skills and the learnings are certainly applicable to the Ottawa round as well. And uh, we're gonna launch two episodes uh, about the Ottawa recruitment, one from the perspective of uh, a recruiter at a firm and the other from a student who had gone through the process and was successful in acquiring a summer position. So this episode, who are we talking to? What we got, Rish? So in this episode, we got Leanne Beggs. She's a director of student and associate programs at Gowling, Ottawa. In fact, both the interviews that we have this week feature individuals from Gowling, so big ups to Gowlings for that. She has an extensive background in recruitment and in fact was the director of career services for the Faculty of Law at Queen's University. Yeah, I love this discussion because Leanne was dead honest about what she's looking for at candidates at different stages, um, right from application all the way through to in-firm interview. She was definitely very candid and she also talks a bit about her pet peeves and what are some things students can do uh, to avoid uh, things that do not come across very positively from the recruiter's perspective. Yeah, and then just a lot of general advice about how to be successful in interviews and in recruitment processes, um, which is was good for me to learn too, because uh, there was even some stuff there that I had not heard before, which would have been very helpful going back in time. Exactly. So without any further ado, here's our conversation with Leanne Beggs from Gallings, Ottawa. Good Wednesday afternoon. I'm here with Mr. Rishi Deer and Leanne Beggs from Gallings. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Excellent. Also excellent. Yeah. Well, the weather is a bit better today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, we are snow-free today. Exactly. <laughs> so let's just jump right into it. Okay. Uh, without talking about law, if you can give us a bit of background about yourself and who you are as a person. Sure. I love the fact that I'm not allowed to talk about the law. It's really, <laughs> that's, that's a challenge for a lawyer. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm... I've been working in the field of recruitment and professional development for about nine years now. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Windsor, Ontario and have lived, uh, well, I guess a little bit of time in the GTA uh, when I was going to law school. Um, have lived in Kingston, Ontario, and now I'm fairly new to Ottawa and settled here. Um, in, I, my life is, is fairly dull, so I'll try not to be too boring. I spend most of my time hanging out with my, my family. I've got a nine-year-old daughter who keeps me really busy. Nice. Um, don't consider myself an athlete at all, but uh, I do enjoy uh, the occasional yoga class. And nice. since I've come to Ottawa, actually, I bought my first bicycle in many years fantastic. <laughs> and yeah it was fantastic it was a great way to get to know the city just uh, there's so many um, cycling paths here it's just been mm-hmm. an awesome way to kind of get to see around surprisingly actually a lot of my friends once coming to Ottawa ended up buying bicycles yeah and then uh, have uh, transitioned to that lifestyle and then they carry it on in Toronto too when they get when they get back to Toronto I actually think it's some sort of bylaw in Ottawa that you have to own a bicycle <laughs> I, I hear you. So, like, why did you actually decide to leave your law practice, almost in a sense, and transition mm-hmm. into a career develop, development aspect? Well, the short answer is uh, it really just was a better personality fit for me. 
So giving you a, a slightly longer answer on that, um, when I was in law school and, and starting off as a, as a young lawyer, I really had no idea that this is what I was going to end up doing. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, I don't even know if there were that many of these roles available when I was in law school, so it was sort of hard to see that as a as a career path. Um, but you know, looking back, it makes sense that I ended up doing something in professional development. I think I was always that person who just even with their friends was really interested in you know what their career plans were, and you know, sort of acted as an informal coach, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe to their chagrin, giving, you know, unsolicited <laughs> advice. Um, but, it, you know, I, I think it was sort of a natural evolution. I, when I started working uh, as, a, as a lawyer, I initially thought I was going to be a litigator and uh, very quickly realized that I just did not enjoy that adversarial part of law. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, really uh, felt much more at home when I was dealing with things in a collaborative way. Um, I was much better and, and happier when I was acting as an advisor. Um, so I sort of transitioned from litigation into uh, you know an in-house position initially mm -hmm. uh, in a, in a, with a trust company and enjoyed that. Um, but you know that sort of that interest in career development just grew and grew, and I was able at at a certain point to uh, make the leap from an in-house counsel position to working full-time with uh, with Windsor Law initially and uh, and then with um, Queen's at their law school uh, as director of career services and and now I'm here on the firm side at Galax. Would you have done anything differently during law school knowing where you would end up? Where I ended up? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that I was too shy in law school and for some reason I felt a little bit intimidated by my classmates and sort of um, stayed a little bit more on the fringes, didn't get quite as involved as I should have, you know, and I think looking back now, um, I wish that I had had uh, taken on, you know, more uh, extracurricular activities at law school, etc. Um, I think part of that was just the fact that um, you know, I wasn't too sure if I was going to end up uh, in a traditional role, and so was a bit hesitant, maybe, about taking full advantage of the law school experience. Mm -hmm. What's your perspective on the legal market today? And you can t talk about <clears throat> Ottawa specifically, and then maybe Ontario, hmm. the bigger legal market. Well, I mean, this is a question that's on everybody's mind, right? Um, the legal market in Ottawa, it's it's a small community in many ways. Um, we, we have always been a very stable legal market. Uh, we have our share of, of large companies um, uh, that have been a steady source of business in this area. Nonprofit groups work with the government. Um, Supreme Court work, obviously, you can do uh, a lot of in Ottawa. So those things are, are pretty stable. Um, I think what is happening, and I think this is probably true of a lot of other markets, is that um, the world of legal services has really expanded beyond the regional. And uh, large law firms in particular are really trying to figure out uh, more and more ways to go you know, international uh, in order to tap into markets that they, we now have better access to through technology um, than we did in the past. Interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, so before we actually jump into mm -hmm. a lot of the questions specifically about mm -hmm. recruitment mm -hmm. and cover letters and all of that, can you give us a very high level, 30,000 feet idea of how does the auto recruitment process actually work for our listeners? Mm. Okay. So first of all, there, there isn't much, and I think this is true of many other lar large markets, that we don't have much in the way of um, first-year centric recruitment. Uh, with the exception of our intellectual property property recruitment that happens in October. Um, so the opportunities for students in Ottawa are really um, geared more towards second year students and then of course articling positions. Mm -hmm. um, we Our major recruitment is the general summer recruitment that happens in February okay. and uh, applications are usually due towards the end of January. There's a two-week period of interviews in February and offers are made at the end of uh, at the end of February for okay. the next summer. Uh, it's sort of interesting because uh, there's there's a pretty high proportion of the employers in the city who participate in the summer recruitment um, and generally we pull our articling students from that summer recruitment. Yeah. Um, now there is a percentage of employers in Ottawa who only have an articling program and so there certainly are some opportunities available for students if they don't get something through the summer round. Can you comment a bit on, so first of all about the IP and then secondly about the second year recruitment process in terms of numbers. So over the last couple of years, what have you seen in regards to numbers? Are they going up? Are they just holding steady or have you seen them declining? They're really stable. The numbers have been very similar year over year. There's been a little bit of growth. Um, I think if you look at the numbers, um, say five or six years ago, the number of student positions overall is up slightly. Okay. Um, but we're certainly not seeing any sort of exponential growth. It's a pretty stable market, and so and I think the good news is there that we're not seeing it declining. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, I think that there has been um, some contraction. Uh, at some firms, but not to a really significant level. Um, you know, there has been maybe some um, some student programs that, that have gotten a little bit smaller. In fact, Gowling's is one of them. But at the same time, we have some other firms who have come on board and are now getting into the student recruitment market. So overall, if you sort of look at the number of positions that are available in the student uh, for students either in the summer recruit or the articling recruit, very, very similar numbers year after year. What about the first-year associate positions? Um, I think, again, that's been stable. Um, it's not something, I think, as a whole, uh, that there's there are tons of positions for first-year associates because we do have a fairly small market. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, sort of trying to speak generally for yeah. all employers in the market, I think that there, there are a number of employers who have um, student programs, maybe an articling program, where they don't necessarily intend to take on first-year associates every year. Some years they do, some years they don't. Um, I think, uh, however, in saying that, there, there's certainly growth in Ottawa, and, and particularly, I would say, in sort of, you know, outside of the downtown core, um, there are opportunities there for first-year associates. It may not be at the firm that they've articled with, but there are opportunities at those other firms that, that don't have a student program at all. Sweet. So let's let's break down the second year process now. So there's a there's a part before students actually put in their application. So everything mm -hmm. to do before January, including their first years and leading up to second year of January term. What are certain things you feel students can do 
to bolster their application and have better chances to actually landing an interview in the Ottawa process. Hmm. Um, you know, and I hate to give sort of a formula because I feel mm -hmm. like there, it isn't a one-size-fits-all answer. Um, you know, quite honestly, uh, you know, a very well-written application can go a long way and, and there may not be anything more that's necessary. Um, so, so sort of that's my disclaimer before I give some suggestions. Uh, it, you know, we'll, I know we'll probably talk a little bit more about grades um, as we go along, but certainly um, doing the preparation in terms of trying to achieve the best results that you can at law school is very important. Okay. And because the, uh, the summer recruitment in Ottawa occurs in the winter term of second year, that means that employers get an opportunity to look at your first year marks and your fall semester marks as well. Yeah. So um, it, ideally, and this doesn't mean that you have to have straight A's across the board, nobody does, um, but if you can show progress from the end of first year to the beginning of second year and show that your marks are on a bit of an upward trend, that's really important. Um, so, you know, marks is certainly one thing that students have at least a bit of control over in terms of the amount of time that they can spend studying. Um, and I would also say, you know, for, for students that maybe are in first year, um, it's really important to look at those practice exams. Um, writing a law school exam is a, is a learned skill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're coming from, um, you know, let's say a, a science background, it can be particularly challenging yeah. because, you know, as we know in law, there's, there's never any one right or wrong answer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would encourage people to, uh, to pull out practice exams if they have an opportunity to do that and, and really sort of um, think about how they're going to approach exam writing because that can make all the difference in the world. Yeah, that's a good tip. Aside from that, I mean, you know, students should do their due diligence. There are a lot of resources available now at each of the law schools through the career services offices. So. Uh, and before you even really decide on Ottawa, um, you should be attending as many of those workshops as you can. You know, just gather information, just be a sponge, um, especially in first year, and think about, um, you know, what sort of practice appeals to you, you know, where you have an opportunity to speak to professionals um, after recruitment panels or workshops. Um, it's really helpful because a, it kind of gives you that experience of speaking to lawyers in an informal way. And also, I guess B is uh, that it might give you some insight into the sorts of things you're interested in or not interested in. Uh, when you actually get in front of an employer at an interview stage, they're going to ask you those questions. What are you interested in? What do you think you might want to do? It's not necessarily that you have to have all the answers nailed down, but you should have some kind of a thoughtful answer. So um, research and information gathering is really important. Um, and I guess sort of building on that um, where possible, if you can speak with um, either current articling students or uh, students who have summered at particular firms who are now back at law school, so tap into your upper year students um, and get a sense of what their life was like day to day. It's really um, important and useful information. How many recruitments have you gone through? So I just completed my fourth uh, here wow. at Gallings, um, but I mean, I feel like I've gone through a million <laughs> uh, because, uh, and partly because I spent so long on the, on the school side of things. Um, you know, I'm now in my, my ninth year total 
of, uh, of law student recruitment and on the school side I was really actively involved in coaching students through every recruitment process that came up you know yeah. every market Vancouver Calgary Ottawa Toronto uh, East Coast um, you know private practice firms um, government positions, clerkship yeah. positions, all of that. So I feel like I've been uh, at least mentally around the country <laughs> a number of times. Wow. Um, so yeah, and, it, and it's, uh, you know, it's interesting that um, you always do see, I think, with every recruitment, people who are, um, they're very anxious about the process. Mm -hmm. And it's understandable. And, and I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I'd like to be able to do is, you know, hopefully provide some information that will give people um, an opportunity to, you know, relax and, and, and not uh, see it as something yeah. that they're going to dread. Yeah, and gaining that information, like you suggested, mm -hmm. helps so much in staying calm through the process mm -hmm. because you feel empowered, mm -hmm. which is so crucial. Yeah. Um, so in one sentence, what do candidates need to remember when they're going through auto I think, okay, so so breaking it down into one highly contradictory sentence, I'm going to say that uh, students need to find the balance between being uh, very prepared for interviews and also being themselves. <laughs> and it's such a tightrope. Um, yeah. But both things need to be there. On the one hand, you have to go into an interview prepared. Uh, you have to know, and I don't mean necessarily knowing the firm, I mean knowing your own resume, knowing why you're there and why it's important to you, and being ready for, for any questions that the interviewers can throw at you, um, and just preparing mentally, you know, trying to overcome some of those nerves. So you do have to go in prepared, but at the same time, um, you have to be able to be yourself. Um, and it's a very difficult thing to accomplish when you're nervous and as a student, you know there's so much riding on these interviews, um, but you have to be able to show your own personality because that's what the employers are trying to get at. You know, um, students look very similar, really, on paper, and it's only at the interview that that you get a chance to see what's beyond, you know, um, the four corners of the page and what that person's all about. The other thing is, I think if uh, if a student can't feel even just a little bit comfortable speaking to the lawyers in the room, that is probably an indication that it's not the firm for them and, and maybe they should be thinking about another employer. Mm -hmm. So now our, our student has worked hard, got decent grades, I guess, uh, and they've talked to past summer students so to mm -hmm. determine what, what firms they want to apply at. Mm -hmm. Now when they're drafting their cover letter, and from your perspective, what are certain things that makes for an outstanding cover letter? Um, so in that, I guess you can break it down into how they're presenting the information, but also certain experiences that you feel kind of stand out for, uh, from a firm's, firm's perspective. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, and the, the important thing to know about the cover letter is, and I, I think this is true for most employers, um, we don't ask for writing samples. Mm -hmm. uh, I know there are some employers who do from time to time, uh, but generally speaking, law firms don't ask for a specific writing sample. So by default, your cover letter is your writing sample. Mm -hmm. And um, strong writing skills are a really key quality that we're looking for in students and potentially future associates. Um, so it is really important to take the cover letter seriously. Um, what I think 
will set a cover letter apart from others is uh, someone who knows how to use the accepted format, which is kind of a, it's a business style format. It's you know relatively boring, um, but within that format, manages to be really persuasive, um, and reveals things about themselves uh, that are useful for the employer. So to your point, um, you know someone who can. Uh, highlight experiences on their resume that they think are really particular skills that they that they possess um, that are going to be of interest to employers like client service, um, resilience, project management, um, taking initiative, leadership, those sorts of things. Um, but it's not enough to just say that in a sentence, you know, I'm a team player. Mm-hmm. You really have to sort of connect it to specific things that you've done. And with any luck, the cover letter will interest me enough that it, uh, or any reader, I guess, to, to go on to the next page to look at the resume and look for more detail. Why is, uh, I'm always curious, why is leadership an important quality? Well, I mean, it, you know, and again, here's a contradictory answer for you because we need team players and we also need leaders. And I think it's, it, they're two sides of the same coin to know when to be part of the team and, and to take instructions mm-hmm. and when to know to take the lead. And I think often students, and certainly as associates, you have to know when to employ either of those skills. Um, in some situations, you're going to have to take the lead on something with a client or, or you're going to notice something that the maybe the supervising lawyer has missed and you have to sort of take the lead to bring that to their attention. But you also have to be willing to be the person who maybe does, you know, that that menial part or seemingly menial part of, of the matter because it's really important for the client. Um, and you know, we're always recruiting with an eye to the future. So it's not just about bringing in students who are going to work hard for us for a summer or for their articling term. Mm-hmm. It's about people that eventually are going to become associates. And, and may become partners. So there has to be some potential there for leadership uh, because it will be useful you know, down the road. Nice answer. Is, is the weight that's put on cover letter, resume, and grades, I guess those are the three, and then reference letters mm-hmm. as well. Those are things that students submit. Mm-hmm. Uh, which ones would you say have more weight than others or is it evenly placed or you're looking at a, almost like a wholesome application at the end of the day? Um, I mean, I, I'm definitely going to be considering all pieces. Yeah. Um, I find that, for me personally, I pay a lot of attention to the cover letter. Okay. Um, maybe even more so than the resume, because to me, oh, wow. the cover letter, uh, you know, and it's not that I don't look at the resume, yeah. I do, but to me, the cover letter has to grab me, and it has to tell me the things that I should look at and pay more attention to on the resume. So if I'm, and I'll, I'll read the cover letter first, and I'm hoping that the, the cover letter is going to give me a bit of a roadmap. Um, you know, I was involved in, you know, I was a, a camp counselor, I was, I worked in industry for a number of years, whatever it is that I'm going to go, oh yeah, I want to know more about that. And then I'm going to go to the resume and look at the detail. Um, so I do look at the resume. Um, quite frankly, there are a lot of students who at this stage, first year, second year, resumes look very similar. Um, so I don't ever go to the resume first for that reason because it doesn't help me to distinguish mm-hmm. between candidates. Um, but when I do look at the resume, I'm looking for um, the presentation and, and the information, how it's, um, 
how it's organized mm-hmm. um, and how it is, uh, you know, whether it makes my life easier as a reader or more yeah. challenging, uh, and whether it shows um, diversity of experiences. Do you like the interest section of a resume? <laughs> I do. I mean, it's a bit hokey and it's really, you know, the only time in your career you'll ever have an interest section. Um, but I don't mind it, you know, I mean, sometimes it, it gives you um, some interesting things to talk about a, at an interview. And I also, I, I think that for some students, they don't necessarily know what's of interest to an interviewer. Um, so they may have a, you know, a resume that, that looks very sort of similar to many other students, and then they might have this one thing in their interests um, that they've identified that might uncover a wealth of information yeah. about that student. So sometimes that's where you can get the best stories mm-hmm. um, about, yeah. you know, things that they've done. Yeah. It is a chance to show a little bit of personality, I suppose, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and differ- yeah. differentiate yourself yeah, absolutely. in some level. Uh, so do you recommend making contact with the firm prior to going through the recruitment process, whether it be cold calls to lawyers or yourself, mm-hmm. emails, anything like that? Yeah, I do. Um, I recommend it for students uh, for their own self-assessment purposes. Mm-hmm. So just to kind of expand on that a little bit, um, I don't think that it's necessary for students to be in contact with people at the firm um, in order to secure a position. I don't think that it gives students necessarily an advantage in the process. So it's more part of that information gathering Exactly, process. exactly. So, I mean, it may help them to put together a stronger application package. You know, if they're able to gather information from those conversations about, um, you know, uh, specific areas of practice that, that the employer has that they're interested in and make a connection between the two or if there is something that an articling student says about the mentorship program that really grabs them um, you know being able to put that into a cover letter so that I can see that that person has really put some thought and has customized the letter mm-hmm. that's really helpful um, but I think ultimately it's, it's a more benefit to the student than to me you know, because it's going to help the student to feel more comfortable. As you said, they're going to feel empowered because they're going to have some information about the firm before they walk into the interview. Um, they'll have had a chance to maybe do a little bit of assessment between employers. It might help the student to think about um, or, or I guess gain some knowledge about that firm's culture before they walk into an interview and maybe help them to think about how they might potentially rank those employers. Uh, it's really, this whole process has to be a two-way street. Yeah. And I think it's very easy for students, and, and totally understandable, for the focus to be on... I want a job. I need a job, <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and that's the worst answer to give. You know, even if that's the only, if that's the answer <laughs> in your head. Um, you know, if someone asks you at an interview, why do you want to work here? And you're just why thinking, I just, I just want a job. Because yeah. um, you're a law firm and you pay <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yeah. I mean... You know, and that's the thing, and, and it's totally understandable, but at the same time, um, you have to, uh, you know, step back from the fear of, you know, I'm not going to get a position, and I'm going to work, you know, at you know Tim Hortons the rest of my life, no offense to Tim Hortons. Uh, you know, people sort of get themselves wrapped into, you know, these, these thought processes, and, and they really focus on, you know, what does the employer want from me? so that I, they will offer me a job and they forget to think about what do I want from the employer? What am I looking for? What works best for me? What's going to set me up for success? 
So just to follow on from that question, actually, some people have a perspective that putting, um, say, a lawyer's name in the cover letter, mm -hmm. like, so say what we normally call dropping people's name in yeah. a cover letter, uh, do you see any benefit in that and uh, people doing that? If, if they have spoken with somebody, should they actually outline who they have spoken with or just kind of leave that out and just kind of output the information that they've gathered from that individual? Yeah, I mean, I think it is helpful if you've spoken with someone and had a fairly lengthy, significant conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I would never drop a name in just to drop a name. It's okay. got to be connected to something that that person has told you as a student that really appeals to you and, and excites your interest about that firm. So you have to make that substantive in some way. You know, I spoke with, you know, partner so-and-so and, you know, he or she told me that, you know, what they loved about the firm is um, the excellent uh, professional development and the mentoring that they've received. Mm -hmm. So if those things are true and that really is important to you, then that's going to be helpful. It's also going to open up a door for me to contact that partner and say, hey, you spoke with the student, you know, what did you think about them? Um, and I guess, you know, if, if the interaction hasn't gone that well, um, you know, then that will come out as well. Or if they but, don't even remember it because yeah. it was so brief. Yeah. Right. And then I think you have to use your judgment there as yeah. a student. You know, to be quite honest, um, you know, if you've met with a lawyer at a reception and you had, you know, a 30-second quick little conversation, they probably don't remember much about that. Now, it might still be helpful as part of your... Um, your application process to say this is what I learned whether or not the partner remembers you or not to mm -hmm. say you know I got this information and it, it, it solidifies my interest in your firm um, but I think you just have to be sort of careful about you know you don't want to over exaggerate that that connection if it doesn't exist. I really think that your suggestion of customization mm -hmm. is a really nice one to hang on to mm -hmm. because from your perspective you're looking at hundreds of resumes, hundreds of cover letters, mm -hmm. mostly from people who are relatively young in their career development and don't mm -hmm. have that much to really distinguish themselves on the job front. Mm -hmm. So picking out some things in your life that you've done that are unique, that can mm -hmm. separate you from the pack mm -hmm. and make the words on your page pop a little bit, I really like that. So get customize your, your application to, to stand out a little bit. Yeah, and it, you know, it requires some uh, reflection you know, that's yeah. not something that you can sit down and jot off, you know, late night, you know, the night before the applications are due. That forces you to think about yourself and what you've done and what really translates. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, ideally you're thinking about it from a, from a perspective of where have I been successful? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the traits that I have right now that um, I think, you know, really uh, or an example of me and my best and how can I, you know, make that translatable to an employer? Um, you know, and I, to be quite honest, I mean, you know, uh, I do see a lot of cover letters where, you know, the slant is, is very much, this is why I want to work at your firm because this is what your firm can do for me. Uh, and so you have to always be careful that, you know, as a student, um, you're able to demonstrate what you're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, students may, may say, well, I don't have any legal experience, so I'm not necessarily, you know, what am I able to contribute? But, but the reality is that the students contribute a lot 
Um, and, and so, you know, a careful sort of thoughtful analysis of your strengths is really welcome because it, it lets us see what kind of contribution you're going to make to our team. And the skills translate, right? Like yeah. a, a leadership skill, mm -hmm. which is, is valuable at all stages of mm -hmm. working at a law firm, mm -hmm. you can gain from leading a paddling expedition when you're 17 or something <laughs> like that, right? It's mm -hmm. the same skill. As long as you can pull those skills out of from your experiences and help draw those connections for the person reading your application, it seems like that's probably the best way of going about it. That I did this, this is a skill I got and that's transferable to the firm that I'm applying to versus mm -hmm. just listing out a bunch of experiences and not really drawing those connections for the reader. Exactly, because I mean, and, and that's the thing is that I've, if I can see on the page that you've gone through the exercise of trying to make those connections already, it shows me that as a student you're thinking ahead, you're mm -hmm. thinking about what the firms are actually going to need when yeah. they get on the ground. And you'd be surprised, I mean, um, you know, if you have been, you know, tree planting in BC uh, for a summer, it's really difficult work, you know, mm -hmm. and to be able to talk about that and say, you know, this is something that I did. I got up every day, and whether it was you know rain or shine, um, I produced this work. Um, that is absolutely translatable to you know Definitely. to working in any kind of professional environment. So, you know, I, I don't think that you know students should ever feel like, well, I don't have anything to bring to the table because I haven't worked in a firm yet. Mm -hmm. So, like we have speak, I've spoken a bit about the cover letters and resumes, mm -hmm. and also a little bit about the grades. So. Is there actually a cutoff mark for grades? And I think that's a perception that some of the law students have that you have to hit a certain cutoff to get a job, or the grades kind of are dependent on the rest of the applications and what works? Well, I mean, I can't really, I can't speak for all employers. Yeah. Um, my sense is that for the vast majority of employers, it's really looked at more holistically than that. Okay. Um, I would say grades are they're quite important. I mean, they're, you know, an objective measurement of how well you've done in law school and it's uh, an assessment of, of how well you've been able to, you know, research, write, um, you know, think about legal concepts and be able to analyze them. So, so they're important for a reason. It's not arbitrary. It does tell us something. Um, in saying that, I mean, you know, the reality is that uh, you know, if, if firms tried to populate their their lawyers with only, you know, straight A students, there'd be nobody in the building, you know. So, you know, we have to look at it more holistically than that. Um, and, um, you know, grades are one indicator. They're certainly not the only indicator of success. Um, you know, I think uh, we don't we don't have we certainly do not have a cutoff okay. um, you know I think I would be looking at trends with the grades I'd be looking for you know hopefully um, I would say you know a majority of the of the marks are uh, you know average or above average mm -hmm. uh, doesn't mean that they all have to be A's but you know looking for some you know the fact that you're able to get hit above average yeah. you know in a number of your courses um, one you know, outlier bad mark isn't going to sway me much. Um, but then I'm looking at it sort of in conjunction with your experiences as yeah. well. So um, if the grades are average, but the experience is above average, um, and the experience is quite uh, on point with what we're looking for, so if you've had 
prior professional experience or you've, you've had a lot of leadership roles or you've had a lot of client service roles and you've shown demonstrated success there, um, yeah, absolutely, I'd bring you in for an interview to see how that goes. Um, likewise, if I see a transcript where, you know, the grades are phenomenal, but it appears that that's the only thing the student has on their resume, I'm going to be a little bit concerned because, you know, there's much more to being a successful lawyer, especially in private practice, mm -hmm. than just having that, um, just being smart about the law. You mm -hmm. know, it goes a lot deeper than that. You've got to be able to work with clients. You've got to have some, some business savvy. Um, you've got to be able to juggle things that are on your plate that are, you know, completely unfamiliar. So all of those different traits um, aren't necessarily demonstrated through grades. That's where we have to look at uh, other experiences on your resume. So would you say that both grades and experience hold equal water? I would say so. I mean, I, I think they're, they're both equally important. Um, I would say, you know, if you have fantastic grades and you, nothing else on your resume, you'll probably still get an interview. But then that's where there's going to be some, some, some deeper conversation about, okay, what else have you done? Um, you know, if, you're, if your grades are completely below average, then I think what I'm looking for is, you know, the experience has to be, has to overcompensate for those grades, yeah. you know, and, or there, you know, maybe there's going to be some sort of, um, you know, maybe there's an explanation, you know, that in one particular semester there was yeah, something personal yeah. happening. One thing I would say, though, one thing that I find, would find a bit um, alarming, I guess, is if a student spends too much time telling me about, you know, why they got a C in one course when all the rest of their grades are, are decent. Because yeah. then I start to go, okay, you're spending a little bit too much time overthinking that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this might be a good time to actually just start talking a bit about the interview. So mm -hmm. once you, once that candidate is in for the interview, what's mm -hmm. your the firm's approach in conducting those interviews? <clears throat> Um, well, like most firms, we have a very conversational approach. Okay. Um, and, you know, it is uh, designed, the intention is certainly to make students feel um, welcome, to feel at home. Uh, the interviewers that we have, uh, typically in, in a Gallings interview, there would be myself and two other interviewers. One would be a partner, one would be an associate. Okay. Um, and it's really, you know, we want to know who you are. We've, we've seen your accomplishments. Yes, we're going to talk about them, but it's, it's an opportunity to let the, the students shine a little bit um, and sell themselves. So in order to do that, we're trying to make the students as comfortable as possible. And, and it's certainly not our intention to, to ever put someone on the spot or, or grill them. Um, and, and it's very understandable for students, um, especially if it's their first round of interviews, to have some nerves. So, uh, you know, showing that you're a little bit nervous is, is totally fine and is expected, um, you know, but I guess we're looking for people that can kind of pull it together and, nice. and, and sell themselves a little bit. So it's a panel interview with three people? We have a panel interview with okay. three people. And that usually typically lasts for 45 minutes or so? About 45 minutes. Okay. And, and will on occasion involve, a, you know, a tour of the firm, meeting more students, uh, meeting other professionals as well. And is there follow-ups that you do as well that you want the students to come back multiple times or usually they just come in once? We, uh, it sort of depends on the recruitment. So we have a slightly different style depending on whether you're participating in the intellectual property recruitment versus our general recruit. Um, the intellectual property recruit, because it's such a small recruit, 
um, tends to be a one interview only process, okay. whereas our, our general recruit in February is, uh, you know, we're going to meet with you at least twice. Okay. And are there any dinners or, that, or receptions that students also get invited to? Not as of yet. Okay. <laughs> um, I leave myself open to change my mind on that down the road. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, historically we haven't had any receptions or, or dinners at Gowling's. Um, we did have a, a lunch as part of our intellectual property recruit, which I think uh, worked very well. Okay. Um, you know, but uh, I think, you know, I always leave myself open to, to tweaking the process, you know, from year to year. <laughs> Is there, are there any specific reasons why you don't incorporate uh, a social event at this point? Well, I think, you know, part of it is, uh, it, I, I think it can be difficult to assess students at a reception. And there's, there are lots of schools of thought on this. You know, some people think that they're great, some students do well at mm -hmm. them, some students love dinners, some students hate dinners. Um, our people eat free food? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, yeah. I agree. It's, it's yeah. very yeah. polar when yeah. you speak yeah. to people about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it, and the, the ironic thing is that you don't even really get to eat it, right? You're yeah. so nervous <laughs> when you're, you're nervous, interviewing, yeah. you know. Um, and, and so, you know, it is, I think, helpful to see students on multiple occasions um, because you get to see other dimensions of their personality. And it is helpful to see students in a setting um, that's at least, you know, on the surface a social event, you know, I mean, it's, you know, fraught with all sorts of, you know, right. underlying tension because we're assessing each other, but, um, you know, it, it does provide an opportunity to see people in a different environment and gain more information about them. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, I think we have been fairly content up until now that we've had enough information from the interaction we get from our students through the through the actual interviews. Um, now, I mean, not every firm feels the same way, but yeah. uh, you know, and, and I say, you know, I always leave myself open to <laughs> yeah, changing it. Uh, sorry, just just a second <laughs> interview that you have is that panel as well, or that's broken down into individual interviews? Um, our interviews are we have at least two interviewers in the room okay. um, for any interview, so it's usually uh, a part, at least a partner and associate. I tend to go to all of the first interviews um, yeah. as a sort of a consistent person who's mm -hmm. seen all of the students. And then for the second interviews, if you make it to the second stage, it may just be a partner and associate. Um, but again, I'm sort of running interference and, and talking to everyone. And I mean, quite frankly, you're, you're, as you walk around the firm and you're meeting with people and you're speaking with professionals, those are mini interviews you know yeah. because all of that data is is uh, useful and it is used in the in the selection process mm -hmm. how do you gauge your first impression um gosh uh i know I it's it, kind of a visceral thing it but... really is i mean i think you know i don't want to sound i don't want to sound trite but there's a lot to be said for just you know good eye contact a smile when I look at a student who's sitting uh, nervously in a reception area, if they stand up, smile, you know, look me in the eye, give me a decent handshake, and appear to be, you know, dressed appropriately, um, then we're starting off on the right foot, right. you know, and that's that's all you need to do as a student. Now, I mean, it sounds simple, but I know that you know, from for some students, you know, who are struggling with with nerves and feel slightly intimidated. Sometimes forget the smile part, you know, and you know that's one of those yeah. you, you fake it till you make it kind of things. So yeah. you, you put the smile on even though you might feel a little less than confident. 
Um, I mean, and the other thing is, you know, we we then delve a little deeper into the students' experience through the interview process, but we're always filtering information that we get from, you know, the students that they meet um, and, and how they deal with the people at reception, um, support staff that they come in contact with. So all of that information is is part of the process. And sometimes a smile is what gives, gives you the confidence. If, yeah. if you force yourself to smile, I found out it sometimes works for me actually. Mm -hmm. I, I force myself to smile and it turns into me feeling more confident as I'm approaching a situation. Yeah. Uh, so what, what are certain characteristics that you've seen which are common again uh, among successful candidates at Gatlings? And at probably prior roles as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we've talked about this, we've sort yeah. of talked about it a little bit uh, in previous answers. Um, successful candidates. I think once we get to the interview stage, um, it's really whether or not that person can show us that um, they have thought about the process, that they appear genuine, mm -hmm. um, that they have, they're willing to um, talk about their experiences and, and make our lives easier as interviewers, to, you know, give us the information that we need. Um, without ha us having to pull teeth. Um, and someone who appears that, uh, you know, they have some, I want to see some emotional maturity, that they don't get rattled too quickly. I mean, we, you know, the legal profession is, is pretty intense and um, you have to have the ability to sort of roll with it a little bit. So someone who's who can talk about challenging experiences that they've been in and how they overcame them, um, you know, and they seem like someone who could handle having, you know, a desk full of things they don't know what to do with, um, is probably going to do well in our process. Yeah. EIQ is a term that we hear a lot of yeah. mm -hmm. in our conversations. And I had never, no one had ever put it to me that way when I was actually going through the interview process, but mm -hmm. now that I look back, I'm like, yeah, it really is an intelligence you kind of have yeah. to develop. I think the other thing, and I'll just add to that, is that, you know, we, we're in a client service profession, right? Mm -hmm. And so what what might set someone apart in an interview, I mean, you know, all students are, you know, can talk about sort of interest in courses and, and interest in the law in a theoretical sense, but what might really push someone to the next level is, is you know, some sort of um, insight into the fact that this is, a, you know, the business of law. Mm -hmm. and that the business of law is really about servicing clients. Yeah. So someone who's, you know, just to go back and to my earlier example about, you know, things on your resume, you know, someone who's been in a lot of client service positions, who's had to deal with, you know, irate customers and, you know, manage those requests in a really diplomatic way, you know, if they can talk about those things, that's going to make me um, really pay attention to that answer because, you know, so much of what we do is really, it's really client-centric. Yeah. I had a restaurant experience and I put it on my resume on purpose mm -hmm. for that and uh, it worked out well. Like it, it always, It's a great way to highlight client service. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an obvious one that I think a lot of people go, well, a restaurant, that's just kind of a way for me to make money and have fun mm -hmm. at a time, but it, it's, a good, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good addition. Do you have any, I'm not going to say pet peeves, but anything that you just, when it happens in an interview, kind of sets you off or that you just, you don't like seeing in a candidate? I mean, I think that what, what might make it a difficult interview is, is a student who's really withdrawn, um, where it feels like the student is waiting for you know, us to drive the interview entirely, 
it's it's um, you know just it saps your energy as an interviewer. Yeah, it does. Um, so you know students who only give sort of one or one or two word answers, you know, it can be a bit challenging that mm-hmm. you know we're trying to pull information out of them and it doesn't seem to be forthcoming. Um, the other thing, and I mean, you know, I think that piece for students who feel like they're maybe a little bit more reserved or know that they sort of clam up in interviews, um, it, that's something that you can you can overcome with practice and through training. And you know, good interviewing is very much a learned skill. Mm-hmm. So the good news is, if you feel like you're a really awful <laughs> interviewee, you can you can work on that. Um, but you know, I think probably more annoying than that is is the uh, you know the student who I feel is is trying to over exaggerate their experiences and you know once um, that red flag goes up that someone is is trying to really sort of inflate what they've done in the past mm-hmm. for me the interview is basically it's all downhill from there and, you know and, and I think lastly you know I'm, I'm looking for people that you know know why they're there why are you interested in this position you know um, you know students who look like or it appears at least they just sort of wandered in with no conception of you know how this process was going to work. It's just uh, that's sort of a lesser evil, but at the same time, you know, I think you know you want to see someone who's done some due diligence and you know, goes in with some understanding of the process. Yeah, yeah those are great, great pieces of advice, actually. Uh, so once all the interviews are done mm-hmm. and you're select going through determining who you're going to select for the position, what does that process look like? Yeah, and that can get it can honestly get a bit heated <laughs> um, as people sort of you know discuss the, the candidates. So so what we do is uh, we have basically a you know an offer meeting where we get you know all of our interviewers um, in a room and mm-hmm. uh, we talk about the candidates. We get all of our applications together. Um, we talk about sort of strengths and weaknesses of each one, and we start to to rank them. Um, what I'm looking for is consensus. Mm-hmm. So where the bulk of, you know, those are the easy yeses where everyone around the table says, yeah, absolutely, that person was great. You know, we, mm-hmm. we had a lovely time speaking with him or her. And uh, they seem, you know, uh, you know, someone who would fit in well with the team. It, it's, you, you can't overestimate that because when the students come in the door, they're going to be expected to work with all of the professionals. So you need people who can get along with you know, diverse personalities and different work styles. So when there's consensus around the table that a student is a good fit, that's someone who's really going to go to the top of the list. And I mean, that's you know, without regard for, for grades. I mean, mm-hmm. so that's just sort of you know, someone who's gonna fit with the team. Um, the other thing that I'm sort of listening for around the table are, are examples of how the student might have demonstrated that they can be um, a good source of support for other students. Um, we have a very large student program here at Dowling, so I mean, next summer we're going to have 17 summer students. It's the largest in Ottawa, correct? Yeah. It's the largest in Ottawa for summer, and um, I think uh, DOJ beats us out for articling, <laughs> uh, but only slightly. So we have um, 17 students here in the summer, and, and so that's a huge group. Um, with a lot of diverse personalities and, and people from different schools and different parts of the country. So um, where you know someone is going to fit in well here, it's a, it's a student who can be a support to their fellow students. Um, we really discourage anyone 
you know, if we get the sense that someone is going to be competitive with their fellow mm -hmm. students, that would really be frowned upon. Um, it's not just about having a collegial working group for our students, it's the fact that so much of the actual work that we do here um, for clients is team-based. So being able to work within a team is really important. So um, students, you know, as we sit around the table and discuss offers, it's the ones who they've met with a lot of the professionals and, and were, you know, well received and the conversations went well, where we get the sense that this is someone who would support other students. And I think also equally important, someone who will ask for help when they need it. Um, it's really you know, dangerous in some ways to have a student who feels that they're a bit of a lone wolf or they don't, you know, they, they feel sort of nervous about admitting that they don't know something because, mm -hmm. I mean, quite honestly, that could lead to a lot of problems and, you know, liability for us. Mm -hmm. So someone who is, you know, strong enough to say, I need help with this and be able to go to, um, those resources when needed is it's really important for us to see that characteristic as well. Does it ever come down to a sort of yay or nay democracy where there's okay, Angela Smith, mm -hmm. that's a hypothetical person. <laughs> <laughs> and you're everyone just like yes or no? Like does it does it come down to that sort of vote? I mean there are some there are some really as I say, the like, discussion you know happens, there there's some you know heated discussion at, at some points over certain candidates because um, as we're ranking students, you know, there are some really obvious yeses and then there are, you know, some students who, um, you know, maybe there's, uh, you know, some of the people around the table didn't really spend that much time with them and, you know, don't really know and other students, you know, can, uh, other interviewers are, are advocating for them more strongly and, or maybe there's sort of a feeling that, boy, these, these two students are so, uh, they're so strong. Um, it's 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 a bit of a dogfight about you know who's going to get their candidate on the list right and and um, you know that's challenging because you it, you know in all honesty you meet with so many great students and and every employer says this but it's true we just don't have enough positions for all the people we want to hire and so that means that if you um, you know, are next on the list, you know, and don't get an offer, but you were maybe sort of on the alternate list, um, there were probably, you know, that was probably a bit of a heartbreak for the people around the table to sort of rank you in that sense and know that you weren't going to necessarily get a position. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a long process. Um, it's, I think, and I think it merits a lot of time spent. Uh, I'm really, uh, I'm always impressed by how much time our professionals are willing to spend in that conversation because there's nobody who walks in and just says, whatever, you know, yeah. as long as we have, you know, 17 students, I don't care who it is. The people around the table are really taking it seriously because um, if you look at this, and again, I think this is true of most of the larger firms, the people who are now partners, um, a lot of them have come through the student program. Yeah. So they know the importance of this as a pipeline for future essentially owners of the firm. Um, so it's taken very seriously. And, uh, you know, as I say, the conversation can go on. But I think then you know that when you make those offers, you've, you've come to some 
some yeah. good conclusions. That should be a really appealing um, aspect, I think, for potential candidates that are looking at gallings because mm -hmm. it shows a level of engagement between the associates and the partners and the firm mm -hmm. yeah. that is um, really positive. And it makes sense, right, from the firm's perspective too because all the resources that the firm is investing in these students mm -hmm. uh, and also you have to work with the individuals that are getting hired. So yeah. it makes sense to spend that time up front and then the people who are coming in are potentially all vetted by everybody and fit in nicely in the, in the firm yeah. environment. Yeah, and I think as a, as a comment, and this is a general comment to students that, you know, um, when you're going through the process, you know, don't assume that a partner is going to have more weight in the decision making yeah. than an associate. <clears throat> because as we sit around the room and we're talking about um, candidates with all of the interviewers, we're, we're, you know, listening to the associates, we're listening to the partners, there's an understanding that whoever we bring in has to work with all of those people. So there's an equal weight given to you know each of those voices. And in fact, you know, we we also ask our students, you know, what they thought of the candidates, um, and uh, you know if you know this rarely happens, but if somebody was really rude to someone at the reception, or you know that would probably take them right off the list. So all of the the, the people who work here, you know, get to weigh in. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of those voices are taken into consideration. So I know now the next question is on top of a lot of students' minds mm -hmm. that when you're applying for Ottawa, they really want to see your commitment to Ottawa. Mm -hmm. So what kind of implications are there attached to a student who has gone through the Toronto recruitment first and now is applying to the Ottawa recruitment? Mm -hmm. Is that something that uh, you look into? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we have an understanding, I mean, it, that nothing is ever nothing is ever black and white mm -hmm. um, and that certainly you know life happens things change in your life um, so if someone applied to us for let's say an articling position and they had summered in Toronto and and you know the timing would be a bit weird you know anyway because um, they'd essentially be you know applying to us in the first two weeks of summering at a Toronto firm but let's say something was pulling them to Ottawa that they knew they had, you know, a significant other now has a job in Ottawa and life has changed and they have to settle there. I mean, I'm, you know, and, and our whole interview team would be very open to that kind of a pitch. Um, but there has to be some, you know, credibility behind it, right? There has to be some reason why, um, you know, someone would be willing to come here. Uh, so it has to. I think it has to logically make sense. But just because someone has worked in another city, it doesn't mean that they're automatically out of consideration. I'm going to sort of look at it closely and think, okay, well, does this look like someone who's actually making, um, you know, a real change and, and wants to settle here? So, so for students who went through, say, because the Toronto recruitment would happen, mm -hmm. with the summer recruitment, yes. event, the second one, uh, in October, November time. Yes. So, and then the. Uh, the Ottawa is in January, mm -hmm. so it, you would be looking for some kind of serious reason why they're applying to Ottawa now? Yeah, and I mean, so if they weren't successful in getting yeah. a Toronto position or Calgary, I know that Toronto, Calgary, and Vancouver all recruit yeah. uh, in the fall, so, you know, Ottawa is naturally sort of, you know, the last uh, recruitment. Um, I'm, I'm open to looking at applications from students who have participated in those other markets. Again, what I'm looking for is, you know, give me something to hang my hat on. If I'm reading the cover letter, tell me something that pulls you to Ottawa, that mm -hmm. looks like you've, you've thought about this and it's not just, I don't have a job. 
you know. Um, there are lots of people out there who, you know, come from either, you know, smaller towns or, you know, maybe are originally from other countries and they don't necessarily feel that they're really rooted to any particular city. So if someone, you know, a student puts in their cover letter, I would, you know, have been, I'm equally at home in, you know, Toronto or Ottawa or I have connections in many cities or, you know, uh, uh, Ottawa is a great city for me because of its size and amenities. Um, that's fine, you know, yeah. completely open to that. I think um, a couple of things that, you know, I would sort of raise as, as I guess, um, things to remember if, if you're in that situation. Uh, for one thing, I would really discourage students, if they're in the boat, let's say, take a scenario where they haven't gotten a job in Toronto, they really want to be in Toronto. You know, my advice is, look, don't take some silly detour to Ottawa. You know, stay the course. There are articling positions available in Toronto. If you want to work in Toronto, you'll get there. Mm -hmm. Don't put yourself in a situation where you go through a recruitment, uh, maybe half-heartedly, you know, maybe not all that interested in Ottawa, but you know, hoping to get you know a position with Gallings Ottawa so that you can eventually transfer back to Gallings Toronto. Mm -hmm. You know, just don't put yourself in that situation. I know that there can be um, a fair amount of panic. Um, once the November interviews are over in Toronto and, and people sort of, you know, thinking that, you know, the world is ending and that, you know, I have to get a job and it has to be a national firm and it has to be this and that. So, you know, my first piece of advice is if you really want to be in a particular market, focus on that market. If you are equally interested in number a number of markets, great. You know, just make sure that in your cover letter you're stating the reasons why you're interested in that particular city. And... Um, you know, if, if those things are all there, yeah, we'd be happy to give um, students an interview if they're interested mm -hmm. in Ottawa. That's good. Um, does your firm have any specific um, criteria that you look to fulfill in a certain hiring year? So, for example, uh, we, we're really looking for people this mm -hmm. year that might have a social justice bent in their application or in their interests. Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think that's more pronounced in the IP recruitment. So in our intellectual property recruitment, um, it's, a, it's a fairly niche area. You know, we're looking for people who have a hard science background. Um, we do a huge amount of um, patent litigation with pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, as clients, so we're look, you know, someone who has that kind of a background, I think, would you know, probably do well in our process. Um, but the IP is kind of it's 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 a bit unique in that sense. So when we're we're going through the process in February, it's pretty wide open, um, and you know, I think that we're looking for more um, transferable skills. Some of the things that we've already talked about, things like you know, strong writing, strong research. Um, you know, if they're interested in working in our advocacy group, you know, have they done things like clinics or moots that sort of, you know, evidence that? Um, so, no, not necessarily yeah. an educational background. Mm -hmm. And those those traits presumably last the test of time. And that, I mean, lawyering just requires those. So year after year. You're yeah, and I mean, there's totally, you know, there's always an ebb and flow with, with certain practice groups. And we, we do, uh, you know, a ton of... Uh, you know, medical liability work, you know, so I mean, there are certain things that we do here on an ongoing basis where someone who has an interest in that kind of work, you know, might be more drawn to us than maybe other employers. Um, but at the same time, you know, 
you can't necessarily predict, you know, from year to year with any great accuracy, which practice groups are going to be busiest. Um, and, you know, there are always new areas of law. So you're sort of looking for people that, you know, at least at the beginning stage, have kind of a core um, group of foundational skills that are transferable. Mm -hmm. So just, just to speak briefly about the Ottawa hard sciences background, mm -hmm. so is that strictly limited to people with life sciences engineering backgrounds or things like math background can also uh, have an impact if they have the right experiences in place? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, math, physics, um, yeah. you know, all sorts of different types and varieties of engineering, okay. um, life sciences, chemistry, those sorts of things, yeah. Sweet. Well, thanks a lot. This uh, this was really, really informative. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Unless there's any closing things that you want to add. Oh, boy. Now you're really putting me on the spot. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. I think we've been extremely thorough. I just want to give you the opportunity. To I, I don't think so. I mean, I think yeah. that, you know, the, the only sort of, you know, thing that I, I say ad nauseum to students is that, you know, this really is, um, you know, the starting point is, is assessing yourself. And yeah. you know, before you go through any kind of recruitment process, really taking the time to think about you know what you want, you know where do you want to be, and you know go after those things. I always say you know don't make decisions based on fear. You know there's a lot of fear out there about finding jobs, yeah. Yeah. but it can lead you to some really yeah. weird decisions if you start making too many decisions based on um, feeling insecure. I mean, law students are bright, they're accomplished. Um, it, it shocks me year after year when I look at the resumes, you know, the sort of people that are getting into law school, like it's just amazing the things that people have done. So lots and lots of talented people and students should really uh, have some confidence that, you know, even though it can sometimes look a bit daunting, um, that they, if they move forward towards the goals that they want, that they're going to achieve those in the end. Yeah. Fantastic. That's Thanks nice so much. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> This is The Law School Show.